Hello and welcome to Everyone Special and No One Is, a podcast about obscure, misunderstood, and or controversial topics related to music. My name is Martin, and on today's episode we are doing The Long Haul Part 4, which is going to be all about rhyming, specifically the lyric writing process and how rhymes work into that. I'm going to be continuing the process of giving updates on the song that I've been writing for the last few episodes, and ultimately I will have to release this song on Spotify however it turns out. That's the requirement that I'm giving to myself. Those are the stakes at the end of this miniseries. So before we get into that whole process and that update, I'm going to be talking about rhymes, different types of rhymes, how different songwriting classes that I've had have taught me different things, sometimes contradictory things about rhyming and how you should do it. And we're just going to do a whole deep dive on rhyming because while it's definitely come up a little bit on this podcast before, I feel like it really deserves its entire episode because rhyming really is one of the most important, if not the single most important thing about lyric writing in terms of how your lyrics mesh with the melody and make the whole song a cohesive unit. Because quite frankly, if you write a song and there are no rhymes in the lyrics, and it's just like line after line after line, and there's no, you know, there's no single coherent sonic similarity. It's just each line is kind of unrelated. Like, that would not be a song. That would not be something that people would want to sing along to, which is really, really fascinating that (laughs) we as listeners need rhymes in order to follow along with the overall sound of the music and the lyrics. Um, So, yes, let's get into it. Uh, So I just want to, like mention that Rhyme Zone is a very, very useful online rhyming dictionary. There are some people who will say, Rhyme Zone is great. It's my go-to. If I'm stuck and I don't have a rhyme, then Rhyme Zone is a great place to look for a rhyme when writing lyrics. There are other people who will say, don't go to Rhyme Zone. Don't use rhyming dictionaries, because if you do, then you are basically forcing yourself into what the rhyming dictionary is telling you to do, and it's not going to turn out natural. And you're going to use a rhyme that's forced, you're going to say something you didn't mean to say, and it's much better to organically come up with your own rhymes. And for me personally, I think that I, as with most things, tend to take somewhat of a middle ground approach. I think that It's really good if you can come up with your own rhymes just on the spot, thinking about your lyrics and the story that you're trying to say. And if you can fit a rhyme into your lyric that sounds natural and feels natural, then that's great. But at the same time, you shouldn't force yourself to do that every single time you're writing lyrics because you can sometimes just, or at least speaking from my own personal experience, I can get bogged down and feel like I'm getting stuck 
on this one particular lyric that I'm trying to rhyme, and often going to a rhyming dictionary, such as RhymeZone, is very helpful for getting unstuck. So I think RhymeZone is a good resource, and lots of people would agree with me that RhymeZone is a good resource because it is very, very, very popular. How popular is RhymeZone? Well, you see, I actually looked into this topic, and it turns out that if you're trying to Google for the popularity of RhymeZone, what you find on Google is results for rhyming with the word popular that come up from RhymeZone. <laughs> you know, um, it's like popular rhymes with XYZ. What does popular rhyme with? Okay, I just looked it up, and popular is one of those weird words that just doesn't have very many rhymes. If you're talking strictly perfect rhymes, popular only has copular and unpopular technically rhymes with popular. But then, of course, RhymeZone gives you a whole host of um, near rhymes, which is totally fine. So, uh, yeah. So if you're trying to find out how popular RhymeZone is, it's very, very difficult to find that out on Google because even when I tried searching for like websites or articles about RhymeZone that are not published on RhymeZone, I really was not getting anywhere. Um, maybe they're just not that transparent as a company, which is interesting because the perception that I get, maybe this is totally wrong, but I feel like RhymeZone is the single most popular rhyming dictionary online that people use. But I can't say that if I don't have any facts or data to back it up. So just to satisfy my own personal curiosity about this topic, I used a tool called Google Trends. Now, Google Trends is just a function within Google. You can go to trends.google.com and compare how often people are searching for different search terms. You can compare how often people search for Ed Sheeran versus Katy Perry, how often people search for Target versus Walgreens. You know, you can actually get real data on comparisons between different search results depending on how often they've been searched on Google. And it's a bit limited. Like, they do not tell you how many times different searches has been made. I guess that's probably too confidential data that Google just wants to keep to itself. But they do give you really, really great comparative data. So you can find out what percent more frequently one search was made compared to another search on a particular date in time. And you can see over a period of, um, you know, even up to like five years, or I guess Google Trends dates all the way back to 2004, if you want to. <laughs> so you can find out how the, the peaks and valleys of, oh, this was searched a lot in 2005 around December. You know, if you're for instance, looking up anything holiday-related, then it'll probably be really, really more commonly searched around the holiday season, obviously. Um, and if you're looking at the popularity of musicians or celebrities, then you'll see that they have, you know, they're more or less constant being searched sometimes, but then when they release a song or something big blows up in the news, then you can see little spikes where lots of people are searching for them. So I just find that Google Trends is a really interesting tool, and I love just 
looking at data, even if I can't see exact, you know, numbers of how often people have searched them, like that's fine. I like looking at the comparison and you can actually make real conclusions just based on this percentage comparison. So back to RhymeZone, I tried comparing RhymeZone to lots of other search terms on Google Trends. And of course, if you compare RhymeZone to anything that's like an extremely popular search, like RhymeZone versus COVID or RhymeZone versus Target, or, you know, it's <laughs> RhymeZone is like very, 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 very low. RhymeZone versus Beyonce at like... Beyonce is searched so often <laughs> and RhymeZone is like less than 1% of the number of times people have searched for Beyonce, basically. Well, I'm looking at it right now and it looks like it's around 1% to 2%, actually. Um, but yeah, Beyonce, obviously much more popular than people who go to online rhyming dictionaries like RhymeZone. <laughs> but I wanted to get a more fair comparison. So I was comparing RhymeZone to different search results that I would expect would be more common among groups of musicians, because honestly, you're probably not going to go to RhymeZone unless you're already a songwriter and you're already working on a song. I mean, they probably do get, you know, well, I guess obviously poets, but if you're not writing lyrics or writing poetry, I would expect that you're probably, you don't have a really big need to go to a site like RhymeZone. So for that reason, I tried comparing RhymeZone to Pro Tools. You know, Pro Tools, as I talked about in the last episode, is a industry standard DAW, digital audio workstation, similar to GarageBand or Logic. Pro Tools is like, this is what the major players in the music industry use. This is historically what has been one of the most popular, most standard programs used in the audio production world, not just for music, but also for film as well. So comparing RhymeZone to Pro Tools on Google Trends over the last five years, RhymeZone is consistently a more popular search result and overall, over that five-year period, it was searched 3.8 times more frequently than Pro Tools, which is baffling to me because I just, Pro Tools is like such a common tool that so many people use for music production. And the fact that RhymeZone is a more popular search result while it's not 100% indicative of anything, like it's hard to make 100% conclusions, there are more RhymeZone users than Pro Tools users. Maybe the Pro Tools people just don't tend to search Pro Tools for whatever reason. They just, they have their program, they're content with it. <laughs> they don't need to put that into Google. So the data isn't necessarily an accurate reflection of how many people use it. But I think it does still show that at least out of the people in the music community that could potentially decide to Google for RhymeZone or Google Pro Tools, RhymeZone is still immensely popular. Um, so then I wanted to compare RhymeZone to other music-related uh, things. So I compared it to Splice, which is the sample library that I was talking about in the last episode. Also, Splice is very, very, very popular. And from that five-year period, uh, over the past five years, Splice was consistently 
a more popular search result. Uh, Splice was Googled 41% more times than RhymeZone. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 41% greater, that's that's still within the ballpark, you know? It's not like comparing RhymeZone to COVID, where obviously <laughs> people, way, way, way more people search COVID than RhymeZone. Like, 41%, I feel like, is still within the realm of, yeah, okay, so... Splice is really, really popular, but RhymeZone is just a little bit less than that. And comparing um, RhymeZone to Ableton, which is another really popular digital audio workstation, Ableton is also more popular than RhymeZone, but only by 27%. Ableton and RhymeZone, if you look at the the Google Trends for that, um, I'm pulling it up on my computer and feel free to do this yourself if you're interested. Literally just, again, trends.google.com. Again, comparing RhymeZone to Ableton from 2017 through 2019, they're like more or less the same amount of popularity. Sometimes RhymeZone will go up, sometimes Ableton will go up. But then starting in basically March of 2020, Ableton has a huge spike in the number of times that it's Googled. And RhymeZone kind of just stays about the same and then dips down a little bit. And then Ableton is consistently more popular. After that spike, Ableton is still consistently like around 15 to 20 percentage points more popular than RhymeZone up to 2022. So I just find that that's really, really interesting that when the pandemic started in March of 2020, so many more people were Googling for Ableton. It's like, wow, I guess it was, okay, pandemic is starting, time to get into music production. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, It's like the number of people that were writing songs was around the same, if not decreasing slightly, but the number of people producing music was apparently a lot higher at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I just, I, I really, really, really like this data and I like looking at it. Um, just to try to get like a roughly approximate size of how many people are using RhymeZone, I think while this is totally not like an official or legitimate calculation, we can kind of estimate it by comparing the people who Google RhymeZone to the people who Google for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so hear me out. Um, if you look at the Google Trends for RhymeZone versus Lord of the Rings over the past five years, Lord of the Rings is roughly 4.7 times more popular than RhymeZone, which makes sense because the Lord of the Rings fan base is really, really, really big. And so, of course, there are a lot more people searching for Lord of the Rings than for RhymeZone. But if we just say that, okay, 4.7 times more popular, let's just round that up to five times for easy math. Um, so there's around five times more people looking for Lord of the Rings than RhymeZone. And if you want to get a roughly approximate size of the Lord of the Rings fan base, well, according to Pajaba.com, when The Hobbit was released in 2012, it had about 11 million people in North America who saw the movie opening night. 
right? You would expect that a lot of diehard Lord of the Rings fans would come out to see The Hobbit on the opening night. So if that number is 11 million, and that's like a real number of real people that showed up for Lord of the Rings, then let's just say that there's approximately 11 million Lord of the Rings fans in North America. And if you go from there and then you divide 11 by 5, because again, the size of the people Googling for Rhyme Zone is roughly one-fifth of the people Googling for Lord of the Rings, then you arrive at the number of Rhyme Zone users is roughly 2.2 million. <laughs> again, total BS calculation because I'm making a lot of assumptions that would be very, very difficult to prove. One, that a person who is a fan of the Lord of the Rings is Googling for it. Two, that the number of Googles corresponds to the number of fans, you know, <laughs> which, yeah, the, the the math and the assumptions don't really shake out. But I think that maybe, just maybe, it can give us a very, very rough, extremely rough approximation that maybe there are around 2 million people using RhymeZone, which you know, kind of makes sense because there's a lot of songwriters in the world in North America and broader areas. And <laughs> a lot of songwriters need to rhyme in order to get their lyrics to work. So let's just say, let's just take on faith that maybe there's around 2.2 million Rhyme Zone users. Um, anyway, this concludes the speculative data analysis portion of the podcast. Um, let's talk about rhymes. Let's talk about rhyme theory. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so there are three different parts of rhyme theory. One is the type of rhyme, which gets into the phonetics and how close the consonants and vowel sounds in the rhyme are to the words that it rhymes with. And then there's the rhyme scheme, which is just if you compare on a line-by-line-by-line basis going through the lyrics, which of the lines are similar to each other. You know, it's like ABAB rhyme scheme means that line one rhymes with line three, and line two rhymes with line four. And then finally, there's rhyme placement, which is where specifically in the line does the rhyme occur. The most common type of rhyme in lyrics is without a doubt end rhyme, which means that the line, uh, the word at the very end of the line is the one that rhymes. But internal rhyme is also a very, very popular tool, which is just internal in the middle of the line somewhere, and that's used a lot in hip-hop and rap, but of course, also, it's becoming popular in pop music as well, and other genres, um, but the thing that I feel like is definitely most highly debated is just the type of rhyme, and what counts as a rhyme, and are some types of rhymes better than others? You know, if we're talking about rhyme scheme and just the placement of the rhyme, end rhyme versus internal, that's like, eh, people... I, I feel like they don't have too strong opinions about those, but the types of rhymes, like... 
<laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a debated topic. That is very controversial among songwriters, believe it or not. So just to, to give some examples, I when, when I was going to school at McNally Smith College of Music, which has since shut down, but when I was taking classes there in addition to my regular high school classes, um, doing concurrent enrollments, I was able to take three different songwriting classes, and each of those songwriting classes, my professor had a very, very different opinion about the types of rhymes. <laughs> three professors, three opinions. Songwriting one, I had a professor who basically said that, um, and I actually do have my my notes from these classes, and so... I took very, very, very detailed notes, and they're all on my computer, so it's really, really easy to look back at these. So I have a verbatim quote from my songwriting one class. So the teacher said, Perfect rhyming is hard. It limits your choices more. It requires greater creative effort. But if you can do it, then you should give yourself a pat on the back. In the subconscious minds of the listener, Perfect rhymes are appreciated because they feel like the most natural things in the world. Add it to your list of stuff to do when you're writing. So, what is a perfect rhyme? Well, a perfect rhyme is just a very, very straightforward rhyme, such as boy, toy, joy, or, you know, cat, bat, hat, Perfect rhymes tend to be the rhymes that were taught in elementary school. This is what a rhyme is. And if you're analyzing this and be like, okay, well, what makes a perfect rhyme different than like a near rhyme? Or you could call it a slant rhyme. Like, what's the difference there? Well, a perfect rhyme, you have the same vowel sound in the last syllable of the word. Traditionally, the last syllable. I'll be getting into the, the nuance of that in a second. But let's just say... In a word, you have uh, the the last syllable of the word, the vowel sound is the same, and then any consonant sounds after the vowel are the same, which is why cat, bat, hat, those are all rhymes because they have the a sound followed by the t sound, you know, or if we're, if we're <laughs> using an example that's a little bit less, I don't know, elementary, <laughs> um, let's just say devise, like you're going to devise a plan, um, then you can rhyme it with things like spies, guys, eyes, comprise, abscise, whatever that means. <laughs> um, so it's the I sound followed by the z sound, devise. So if we were looking at just like devise compared to I, that would not be a perfect rhyme because like I, like E-Y-E, -E, that doesn't have that final S sound at the end of it. Or devise versus sky, for instance. Those would be near rhymes, but not perfect rhymes because a perfect rhyme is strictly the last vowel has to be exactly the same. And then the last consonant sounds, you know, the sounds anything other than a vowel have to be exactly the same after that last syllable. That being said, I really do need to clarify the nuance of this, which is that if the word has multiple syllables and the stress is not on the last syllable, 
this is a whole other lecture in phonetics that I'm not really going to get into, but <laughs> different words have different strong syllables. You know, devise is like unstressed first syllable and then stressed second syllable. Devise. You wouldn't say devise. That would sound really, really weird. Or like water has emphasis on the first syllable. You know, you would not say water because that would that would again sound weird. That's not how we talk in the English language. It's just water. So therefore, if you're going to rhyme with water, then you need a sound that has that same vowel sound of the first stressed syllable followed by everything else needs to be exactly the same. The vowel and any consonants after that stressed vowel. So for rhymes with water, we have cotter, potter, swatter, trotter, uh, and, <laughs> you know, there, there's, like, if you go to Rhyme Zone and you look up water, there's no one-syllable perfect rhymes for water because they don't exist, because the first syllable of that two-syllable word is stressed, and therefore all of the perfect rhymes have to have those two syllables. Again, I don't know who made up these rules about what is and what is not a perfect rhyme, but this is just this is just the way it works. <laughs> as much as I hate that as an explanation. But if you're looking for rhymes that are not perfect with water, uh, then you can look at things that potentially don't have that first syllable rhyming. You know, you could rhyme water with um shutter, for instance. Like, like the shutters on your blinds, because it ends, they both end with the er sound, the er, water, shutter. And you could potentially put that in a lyric, you could rhyme water with shutter, but it wouldn't be as quote-unquote strong of a rhyme, because the first syllable, the stress syllable, which is the one that we as listeners pick up on, is not aligning. <laughs> Does that make sense? So just to put this in context, in an actual real-world musical example, I've been listening to the song Clarity by Zed, and I really like the, the rhyming in the chorus. So I'll just read the chorus lyrics to you so that we can start putting this into context a little bit. Because you are the piece of me I wish I didn't need. Chasing relentlessly. Still fight and I don't know why. If our love is tragedy, why are you my remedy? If our love's insanity, why are you my clarity? So breaking this down a little bit, just that first, those first two lines, because you are the piece of me I wish I didn't need. That is not a perfect rhyme because me and need, they have the same vowel sound, yes, but need has an extra D at the end of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... If you were going to find a perfect rhyme with me, it would need to be like C, tree, V, etc. <laughs> but it still works in the context of the song because they're still close enough that the ear can still be like, yes, this is this is a thing that recognizes that I can recognize as a similar sound, even if it's not exactly the same. And then the next two lines, chasing relentlessly, still fight, and I don't know why. Uh, relentlessly. Strictly is not a perfect rhyme either, because even though it ends with E, relentlessly, with no consonants following that vowel sound, technically, relentlessly 
is a multisyllable word and the stress syllable is not the very last syllable. So even compared to me, it's not a perfect rhyme and it's definitely not a perfect rhyme with need. And then why the end of the line four also just does not rhyme with anything. Um, and then the next parts of the chorus, if our love is tragedy, why are you my remedy? Again, it's another situation where the vowels on the stressed syllables did not line up, but the very last syllable does line up. The um, tragedy, remedy, but you're not going to actually say that that way talking because it would sound stupid, <laughs> but it's close enough in the song that again, it works. And then if our love's insanity, why are you my clarity? Which is really interesting because we have four ending words here. They all have or they mostly have three syllables, tragedy, remedy, clarity, and then insanity has four syllables. Um, but tragedy and insanity, those line up really well because, and that, that's lines one and line three, basically. <laughs> so, at, it, e, that would be if you just isolated only the vowel sounds. Tragedy, at, it, e, insanity, at, it, e. So, they actually share three of the same vowel sounds and then the the d like the d sound in tragedy is a lot like the t like like the t sound in insanity so while tragedy and insanity are definitely not perfect rhymes and they would not be considered quote unquote a textbook example of that they still line up really really well and it's a really clever use of rhyming and then remedy and clarity lines three and four, those are very, very close as well. Um, although the vowels, there's not as many vowels that are the same there. Uh, Re-it-e versus er-it-e. <laughs> uh, but they still kind of end in the same place, if that makes sense. Anyway, I just think that Clarity by Zed is a really good example of lyrics that work even though there is not a single perfect rhyme in that entire chorus. And this brings me back to my songwriting one teacher. Again, he was saying perfect rhyming is hard. It limits your choices. But if you can do it, then you should give yourself a pat on the back. Like basically it's difficult to come up with perfect rhymes, but if you can do it, it's good because it makes there be more similarity. And it's like, I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, I feel like saying that, oh yeah, automatically perfect rhymes are always better than near rhymes is not necessarily something I can get behind because I think it really just depends on context. Oh, Orion says hi. Guess he, he sees someone outside the window and he wants to let us know that someone is outside the window. That's... Yes. <laughs> um, so my songwriting professor for my second songwriting class at McNally Smith College had a very, very different opinion about perfect rhymes. And I have my notes from this class as well. So <laughs> uh, this is not entirely a verbatim quote, but my notes say that my professor said, imperfect rhymes, that's a contradiction. It's actually just assonance. So just for context, assonance would be when you're sharing similar vowel sounds. But anyway, uh, my professor said, 
I prefer using actual rhymes instead of just assonance. There is a science behind this. We expect a rhyme. We don't expect assonance. For instance, one of my students tried to rhyme faith and wife, and he he thought that was ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, And he said, assonance allows you so much freedom. The listener goes, is that supposed to rhyme? And you've lost them for a little bit. It's bad lyric writing. That's all there is to it. So my professor is basically saying, allowing yourself to use near rhymes is just, it's, it's giving yourself too much flexibility, too many options. It's like saying anything goes. And if you approach that mindset to lyric writing, then your lyrics are going to be bad because you're not allowing yourself to fit within this established pattern that so many successful songwriters, so many really, really great songwriters throughout history have been using this, this idealized perfect rhyme, which is really helpful for the listener because it helps them follow along. And if you just use near rhymes or assonance, which I I think that him refusing to use the term slant rhyme, and it's like, no, we're not going to call it slant rhyme. We're not going to call it near rhyme. It's just assonance. He's like saying, no, slant rhymes is not even a real term. It is not a real thing. It is only similar vowel sound, which is only assonance, like a total disregard for anything that is not perfect rhymes. And I, 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 I did not appreciate that at the time, and I still don't appreciate it. Well, sorry, I should, I should, I should clarify. I really respect my professor, and I respect that different people have different opinions. So when I say I don't appreciate that particular opinion, I'm not saying that I don't appreciate my professor as a person or his, like, teaching uh, but I just disagree with it. That is that is what I'm trying to say. That's what I should have said. <laughs> I just, I disagree with that opinion. And that's that. Um, finally, my third and final songwriting class at McNally Smith College, my teacher had a very different opinion. In my notes, I have him quoted as saying, I'm way more interested in you saying what you want to say than what you don't want to say because of a rhyme. We want to have lots of options. So what that third songwriting professor is saying is basically you don't want rhyming to like take away from what you're actually trying to say in the lyrics. If you're looking at the number of perfect rhymes that exist and it's like there's nothing here that would say what I want to say, like there's no words here that would fit with the story then it's okay to use slant rhymes if it helps you tell your story because the story is the most important thing. And then also just for context, one of my songwriting professors at Belmont had a somewhat similar view, um, except he was saying, the, the Belmont professor was saying, well, everything is a balancing act. Lyrics are all about balancing semantics and phonetics which is what he said. So semantics being what the lyrics mean and phonetics being how they sound. Um, yeah. And, and that, that honestly resonates with me the most. It's all a balancing act. You know, sometimes it's good to have a really, really close rhyme that sounds really, really great, but sometimes it's better to have the the better meaning for it. So again, three different professors at 
McNally, one professor at Belmont, out of all these four professors, four different opinions on <laughs> how you should prioritize your rhyming. So it's just like, it just goes to show that there's no one way to do things, you know, which is simultaneously like for someone who's just trying to learn how to write songs, it can be really confusing. But also it's really liberating because it's like, wow, it is kind of whatever you make of it. And everyone's just figuring it out and doing what works for them. And that's really awesome that in songwriting and art in general, you can decide yourself Do you want to fit your art into a very, very strict, very literal interpretation? Or do you want to be more open and flexible and just, you know, free form, kind of? Some songs that are really, really structured and the melodies are really, really precise and all the sounds and the the lyrics and the rhymes fit really, really well together, that can really work and that can really, really sell a particular type of pop song. And that's awesome, when that works. But other songs are more expressive and free-flowing and open, and that's also okay. And then there's a ton of shades in between, and it's just whatever works for what you're trying to do, go for it. Don't don't force yourself into a box or like, my professor told me I should do it this way, so therefore I'm always going to think of it this way. You know, we're all figuring out our own way to do things. So transitioning into the way that I figured out how to do things, specifically my approach to rhyming. At the very beginning of my songwriting journey, if you'll call it that, so when I was just getting started writing songs at age 16, I kind of didn't have very much of an ironed out strategy for rhymes. I would sometimes just try to think of them and sometimes I would use rhyme zone. But then when I started taking these classes in, again, the, the second part of my high school experience, when I was taking concurrent enrollment at McNally Smith College of Music, I was thinking a little bit more deliberately about it but still more or less, I don't know, <laughs> my memory is a little bit fuzzy there. But particularly when I took songwriting three, the, the third songwriting class, again, this is with the professor who thought that rhyming should never get in the way of what you're trying to say, and therefore you should not force yourself to use perfect rhymes. So in the same lecture, he talked about the rhyming theory that's elaborated on in the textbook Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Pattinson. It's a really, really common book used in songwriting classes, both at Belmont University and I believe Berkeley as well. And while I don't have too much experience with Berkeley College, I think Pat Pattinson actually taught at Berkeley. Uh, Don't fact check me on that. Um, (laughs) So anyway, Writing Better Lyrics popular textbook used to teach songwriting. And in the chapter on rhyming, so uh, this is starting on page 37. I guess it doesn't really have its own chapter, but it's kind of like within a larger chapter. Anyway, that does not matter. (sighs) The, The rhyming theory expressed in this book is really, really interesting, and it really, really resonated with me when it was explained in my class. Basically, if you're not necessarily going to force yourself to use perfect rhymes. That doesn't mean you just 
do whatever and it's totally, totally freeform because there are still some rhymes that sound better than others depending on the actual phonetics of what's going on. So I'm reading this book uh, and it says, um, for instance, if you're looking for a rhyme for the word rub, then some of the options given in the book that are very close phonetically are rub, up, thud, putt, etc. versus sounds that would not be as similar if you were trying to rhyme with the word rub would be love, buzz, fluff, you know, because even though it's the same vowel sound, that ah uh sound, the rub and up are a lot closer because the B and the P rub are you B up you P those phonetically the way they're like constructed in the mouth as you say those sounds those are much more closer than love and buzz um without getting too deep into the phonetics of it all the love and buzz those are all fricative sounds the s and the z uh versus rub and up the the b and the p there those are plosive sounds those are made by forcing air out of your mouth and the others are made by like holding your lips together and vibrating them kind of (laughs) i'm no expert in phonetics but the way that pat pattinson in this book describes how you can use a really really basic understanding of phonetics to have closer rhymes really resonated with me and he calls this family rhymes where if you're using rhymes where the ending consonant sound is in the same phonetic family then your actual rhyme sound is going to work a lot better than if they're just totally unrelated consonant families so for instance like i was talking about earlier in the uh in the example clarity by zed the word tragedy rhyming with the word insanity uh D and T, those are both plosives, and they're both in the same consonant family. So (laughs) that right there would technically be considered a consonant rhyme. That being said, if we're being technical in this particular example, for an American speaker, you might actually pronounce the D at the end of tragedy the same as the T in insanity, because like I'm doing right now, insanity. I'm not saying insanity. That's not how I would say it if I was just saying the word conversationally. Insanity. Tragedy. You know, even though it's written insanity with a T-Y at the end, I'm not, I'm not saying it like that. So perhaps in the context of the song itself, that is not even a consonant family. It's just the same exact consonant sound right there at the end of the word. Now, I think I'm getting a little bit too deep in the weeds here, (laughs) but for the sake of this story and how this was impactful in my life, um, the idea of thinking about rhymes from the perspective of the consonant sounds and how close they are, and also how the consonants interact with the vowels was really, really, really intriguing to me because I was, especially at this time in my life, you know, the later part of my high school experience, I was really, really thirsty for a detailed, methodical, scientific approach to songwriting. And this 
experience of dissecting rhymes into their parts and getting really, really, really specific about the types of rhymes that are used. I loved that. That was exactly what I wanted. I I felt like I was really, really craving some sort of a way for songwriting to be methodical. I'm being redundant right now. But what I'm trying to say is that I felt like even though some people approach songwriting very, very emotionally, it's what you're feeling off the cuff, you know, everything that someone like Ayn Rand wouldn't like. Um, there, there is a way to do it methodically. There is a way to write your rhymes intentionally and deliberately without saying, I'm only going to use perfect rhymes, basically. So I took this method described in the book that I was just excerpting from loosely, and I was like, I need to make my own even more detailed method, even more detailed approach to writing rhymes. And so I really did that, and I'm not going to bother you with all the fine details, but I I do I, I did make like eleven or ten different types of specific rhymes, and then I analyzed a whole ton of pop songs in terms of how they use those rhymes, and I have like I have examples in my computer saved of like color-coded lyrics where I'm coloring this certain types of rhymes in order to be like, okay, well, these pop songs use these types of rhymes in this circumstance. So how does that inform what I'm going to do and what can I learn from that? Long story short, I actually did not find that much to, to conclude on based on the small sample of songs that I was analyzing. So <laughs> it was almost like, I was expecting there to be some really profound patterns revealed. And who knows, maybe if I had analyzed hundreds of songs that I would have found a clearer example of, oh, these are these are some types of patterns. But honestly, if there was one pattern that emerged, it was just that out of the pop songs that I analyzed, they did not really stick to only perfect rhymes. And that was kind of the only pattern. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I went really, really deep into it. Again, I'm just making the choice to withhold a lot of the really granular definitions of rhymes that I used. But one tool that I used in order to actually find these rhymes, writing my own lyrics, you know, not just analyzing other songs, but writing these lyrics myself, a tool that I used was the phonetic word search, also known as the phonetic word finder, which is available at benbredis.com that's b-e-n-b-r-i-e-d-i-s.com and this is a rhyming search engine that is far more powerful than RhymeZone in the sense that you can get really really specific about oh I don't just want to find words that rhyme or words that roughly rhyme with this particular search term I want to find words that are two syllables that the first syllable is stressed and the second syllable has the ah vowel, but then it's followed by one or more consonant sounds. <laughs> you know, you can, it, it, it has this whole uh, search language built into the website so that you can put certain results like, like you can put exclamation marks and that stands for consonants, but any consonant, or you can put the at symbol and that stands for any vowel. And then there's also a whole code for if you're looking for specific vowels or specific sounds. And it's 
very, very detailed. And I loved it. I loved it that someone made it, um, you know, that somebody had put together a useful resource like this. Uh, the If you go to the website, it says close to the top, Welcome to Phonetic Word Finder. This is a website designed for songwriters and poets to help you find just the word you need. And then it goes into how to use the search engine. And it's like, it's not very user-friendly. The website looks like it was designed in 2003. It's just like a solid blue background. And the text is, I mean, it's fine, but it's not like, (laughs) it's not well-designed. There are no ads on the website. It is very clearly not a commercial project. As opposed to Rhyme Zone, it's like the design is really fun and inviting and there's lots of ads and, you know, it's just even going on the Google Trends to call back from the beginning of this episode, the the number of people searching for Rhyme Zone versus the phonetic word search, it's like basically no one is searching for the phonetic word search, hardly at all, like almost nothing. Like <laughs> Rhyme Zone is extremely popular phonetic word search seems like it's not even being googled like i compared it to my brother's real estate business century residential and century residential is being googled sometimes not a whole lot because it's a small business but phonetic word search is being googled even less than that (laughs) um but Yeah, at the time when I was writing these songs, spending a super long time at it and putting so much deliberate effort into each individual rhyme, it was a really, really, really useful resource to have. And it wasn't like, I always need to find rhymes with this exact number of vowels and consonants, blah, 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 blah. It was like, I would start with finding rhymes that were just within the same consonant family you know, like Pat Pattinson suggested. And then I would expand that out into, okay, well, if I just go one more degree of similar, but a little bit more different or whatever, (laughs) you know, um, so I would have like these progressive searches where I start at something really specific and then I get more broad if I can't find the specific word that I need to make the lyrics make sense. But if you go on my Spotify and you listen to songs like Reclaim, or so those songs in particular were written with this extremely detailed method of rhyming so <laughs> those are you know if if you're really interested you can you can listen to those and be like oh this was written using the phonetic word finder interesting <laughs> um and then as i of course started spending less time writing songs getting more efficient co-writing a lot more in college, I kind of ultimately let go of the phonetic word search. And now I my current method for rhyming is that I generally look for rhymes, see if I can find something just off the top of my head that works within the context of the story, because that's usually a bit more natural. It ends up being more natural sometimes. But if I can't find that, then I will go to Rhyme Zone and I'll try to find a word that works. And I'll often, you know, I'll look, I'll look at the the perfect rhyme section, but I will often scroll down to the near rhymes section because that's a very useful resource as well. So that's my current method. I don't honestly think about family rhymes too much anymore. Um, maybe I'll, I don't know, this, this has been a really fun trip through memory lane. So maybe I will 
um, moving forward, start to think a little bit more intentionally again about the specific constant families involved, because I think it still is a, a useful tool potentially, but um, not for everyone. Not everyone likes thinking this this analytically about each individual sound. Um, and like, if you're going to write a song in two hours, maybe don't use this phonetic word search that would make everything take way longer, each individual line. <laughs> it all depends on what you're going for and what you're looking for out of the songwriting process. Uh, different means to the same end, different ends to the same means. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Rhyming is fun. I like talking about rhyme theory. Anyway, <laughs> transitioning into an update on the songwriting process for the song that I've been working on throughout this series, which is called I Thought I Knew What I Wanted. I have an update on how that's been going after the transition music plays. Yay! So as I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast, I actually was able to come up with a melody already really, really quickly too, after just, you know, listening to the track that I had produced. And then I was just started having ideas pop into my brain, which is not how I used to write melodies. I used to be extremely methodical and would specifically plan out every single note and how it worked in relation to the chords and the notes that came before and after it. But now I'm much more just like, whatever works, works. And if I have an idea for a melody and it seems like it's an effective melody and it also seems like I'm not copying it from anyone else, great, let's just do it. <laughs> so after I produced the track or the, the rough beginning of the track, I was just, I got out my phone and I recorded myself singing a melody that seemed like, I don't know, I can't explain how it got into my head, but it just got into my head. I guess this is the way that most songwriters write melodies, I think. It's just baffling to me that this even that this can even happen. And I don't know, go listen back to the where do melodies come from episode and getting more deep into that specific topic. But <laughs> um, so I have the rough voice memo on my phone of me singing the melody. Um, it's take it with a grain of salt because not every note is exactly how it's going to be in the song. And I don't even know if I'm going to be singing it regardless. I'm insecure about my voice. Why do I give so many disclaimers? Here I'll just I'll just play play the recording. Here was the very first idea slash ideas that I had for the melody for this song. Da 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 da
feels really weird sharing that with you all because ordinarily there is no way that I would publish anything like this while I'm writing the song. Like if anything, if I'm talking about it and sharing this audio, it would be after finishing the song. So I'd be like, here's what I started with and here's what it is now. So you can see how rough it started with, but then look at what it turned into, but I don't have what it turned into because I'm still in progress of writing the song. So what you guys are getting right now is just my very rough start of an idea that is not fleshed out yet, at least in terms of, you know, production and recording, um, which is a strange thing. But I, after having this like really rough idea of a melody, I recorded a couple other options that are mostly the same, but just kind of like some of the notes were changed up a little bit. Um, and then I started writing lyrics and just thinking about what am I writing about? What is this supposed to be? I already have a good idea that in the chorus, the main title is going to be, I thought I knew what I wanted, as you just heard in the recording. But what are the lyrics that fit around that? And how does this all work in to the story? So. I was just, on Saturday, I was laying on my back, which honestly is how I feel most compelled to create lyrics for some reason. Like, I'm most creative if I'm horizontal, laying on the floor or on my bed or on the grass or something. (laughs) I don't know why that's just what seems to work for me for writing lyrics. Um, So just imagine I'm in the house, laying on the carpet, on my back, writing down ideas in my phone, And before like jumping into the actual lyrics, lyrics, I was just like, okay, what am I doing? So in my notes, I say that I'm trying to walk the line between specificity and generality while sharing my personal experience with being ambivalent towards relationships, you know, want, want to balance that, (laughs) but still get to the topic and not just, um, avoid the topic because sometimes when I'm trying to write about something specific and then the lyrics and I'm trying to rhyme and it's so much to handle that I end up just not writing about the topic that I intended to write about. So that's just, I was kind of trying to set that up front that this is what I'm doing and I am writing a song about this topic and it does need to be personal. And then I wrote down some details that I wanted to include in the lyrics. So I thought it would be nice to say something about, um, the fact that when I was in college, It's like, oh, dating for me is something that is like a desirable goal. It's something that I should do if I want to achieve that goal, basically. It was just like, this is the way that things are done. This is what I want to do. And this is what I should do if I want to keep up, you know, because I felt like I was falling behind. So that was something that I wanted to put in the lyrics. I also wrote down ideas that I could write about. The, the the fact that during the pandemic, I've had much of an easier excuse not to date because, like, <laughs> it's a pandemic. It's not safe to, to date. Or m- maybe it is now. I, I 
the the whole current situation with the pandemic is still really confusing to me but um another idea i had was that i could write down just the idea that like this has taught me that i don't crave dating and that it's even though it's something that i used to think that i should do i'm realizing more and more that it's not something that i find myself wanting to do just in my spare time like i don't feel naturally compelled to like ask somebody on a date it would only be something that i was forcing myself to do because i think that it's something that i should do um so those were kind of some ideas that i wanted to kind of put into the lyrics that being said as i'm saying like starting to try to write lyrics to a melody and then it needs to fit within a certain rhyme scheme like i didn't end up like precisely talking about any of those ideas but I will, um, nonetheless, I will read you the lyrics that I came up with for this song. I'm not going to sing them at the moment because this episode is more lyric focused and I'd rather sing them when I have a more, you know, polished recording of that. (laughs) But my, my lyrics are at this point, this is the current draft of the song searching for a necessity and never questioning the path I was headed down waiting until their reckoning, it was unsettling to hope for something so far out. So right there we have a a slant rhyme with reckoning, unsettling. Um, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, and then I go on, anyone and everyone is coupling up. Am I falling behind? Do I need to catch up? Because they say that nothing matters more than falling in love. So why can't I relate? And that's like the pre-chorus. And then it sets up the chorus, which goes, I thought I knew what I wanted, but now I just don't know. I thought I knew what I wanted, but for now, I'm fine on my own. And then the second verse, wishing to get some clarity on my trajectory, but I can't seem to decide. I tried to go to therapy, but it was comparable to journaling except for the price. So so that lyric right there, I'm just saying... I did go to therapy for a period of like six or seven weeks and it felt like it was really nice to just have, you know, an actual therapist to talk to and get advice rather than just, you know, being on my own, trying to figure all this out on my own. But that being said, the actual benefit that I got from going to therapy, it was like the sessions were so short and I didn't really feel like I had enough time to connect with my therapist over these 30 minute sessions. Um, I think I had like two 45 minute sessions, but still that's not a lot of time to dig deep into the emotions of the topics going on. Um, yeah. So I just felt like the benefit of me talking with my therapist was similar to what I would gain from journaling, which I do much more often. Um, in fact, sometimes I just feel like journaling is even more helpful than that experience of going to therapy. And maybe I just, maybe it was the not a great fit for me with that particular therapist. Maybe um, I should give it another shot. Maybe I should specifically find a way that I can have longer sessions because a half hour therapy session is ridiculous. Uh, anyway, so that's just behind that lyric. Uh, and then I go on and I say... This is the second pre-chorus of the song. I'm not very comfortable with physical touch, and I thought that would change if I fell in love. But then I started dating, and it still wasn't fun to disassociate because I felt sometimes like I was disassociating when engaging in like 
holding hands or uh, kissing. Oh my God. I can't even. <laughs> so awkward. I not, not a fan, not a fan. Um, yeah. And, and I don't need to reiterate all of the backstory behind that. Just go listen to the episode about me being asexual and that, that'll give you all the context there. Um, yeah. So then I repeat the chorus and then I have a bridge lyric, which is maybe all I need is to trust my gut and to take things day by day, week by week. And what I mean by that is in, in terms of trying to come to peace about this, maybe I don't need to have an answer that's just, hey, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is like definitive. Yes, I am interested in dating. No, I am not interested in dating. Like it's okay to not decide. It's okay to take things day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, because I know today I don't want to go out and date. And I know tomorrow I probably don't want to do that either, but who knows? Maybe in a year, maybe I'll be like, ah, it's time to download Tinder. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of my stress over this whole topic has been related to me being a feeling like there's some pressure to have it figured out and this is the way it's going to be and this is the way it's always going to be for me which maybe it's just okay to to not decide so that's what i mean by that first part of the bridge um again maybe all i need is to trust my gut and to take things day by day week by week was that lyric and then the bridge continues maybe all i need is to come to peace with living in uncertainty which is another slant rhyme because uncertainty, the last syllable of uncertainty is an E sound, but it's not the stress syllable. And also peace has the E, yes. So there's the assonance there because it's the same vowel, but it doesn't have, or it has an extra C sound at the end, peace, you know? Um, Anyway, uh, so I, I still I still kind of think about rhyming when I'm writing lyrics. I'm not just like, I'm going to intentionally forget everything that I learned in songwriting class and this textbook and everything. No, no, I, I still kind of think about this sometimes. I'm just the difference between how I used to write lyrics and how I, used, how I currently write lyrics is that I used to be like, I have to fit them into these particular rhyme families. And now I'm like, ah. If I do fit them into the families, great, but it's not a priority and it's not something where I need to use the phonetic word search to get exactly the precise word. I generally just, yeah, don't drive myself crazy over that anymore. And so what I just read, uh, broken up because I was like explaining in the middle of it, but what I just read was the first, well, like not the first draft, but I would say the second or third draft of my lyrics actually, because in the first draft I had some lyrics that I felt were were a little bit cringier that I ended up changing. For instance, in the chorus, it used to be an earlier version. I thought I knew what I wanted, but for now I'd rather stay home. And it's like, I kind of know what I'm trying to say with that. Like, I'm, I'd rather just stay home rather than go out on a date, but it just felt really forced in the context of that lyric, which is why I changed it to, I thought I knew what I wanted, but for now I'm fine on my own. And then earlier in the pre-chorus, I had some ideas that I ended up throwing out, which were, um, maybe all I want is the idea of love. Cause I'm not sure anymore. It just felt like it wasn't really 
lining up. But for the most part, um, a lot of the lyrics that I came up with at the very beginning ended up in the current version, like the current draft. I'm just saying I didn't do a whole ton of editing, which is nice to not drive myself crazy with the editing. But yeah, so those are the lyrics that I have for the song. Again, hopefully I will be able to share a recording of me or someone else singing the song soon, which does kind of beg the question, what is the next step? Where am I going with this? How am I going to make a recording of this song that I'm satisfied with that I can release on Spotify? Because that's the requirement that I'm giving myself. And I think, I think definitely I, first and foremost, I want to get a little bit more fleshed out the production because right now I just have like a rough um, version of the verse and pre-chorus. And then the chorus that I have currently is just piano. And like, there needs to be a lot more than just piano. And then I don't have anything else after that. So I want to make a full, full length song production. And then I'm going to probably try singing it myself and start singing some things and recording it. But if I'm just like, there's no way there is no way in the world that I am going to <laughs> be confident enough about my own voice to to do this. Then I probably will either ask a friend if they're interested, but it is like my personal story. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do a whole episode exploring that topic. Who knows? <laughs> um, the idea of, does it work to give someone else a song that's so personal to my story? I'm not sure. I still have not decided on that topic. Um, but yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing that's left up in the air. Aside from that, I was also thinking I should maybe ask some people for feedback on these lyrics before I just go off and record them. Cause in the past, sometimes I found it really, really helpful to share my songs with people before I'm finished with the writing process. Just be like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. How do, do you understand what I'm saying in the lyrics? Do you feel like it's lining up and it? Nothing's like particularly awkward. And I think for this song, I I don't know. Do I need to get feedback? I don't want to be so pretentious to be like, oh, I'm so, wrote such a good song. I don't need to get feedback from anyone because it's already perfect. It's like, well, no song is perfect. But sometimes with feedback, I just find myself spiraling and then really questioning, is this a good song? Am I on the wrong track? Do I need to do everything that they suggested. Because a lot of times suggestions for songs are just things that people think of like off the cuff and it might not even work for the song. Like I've had that experience giving other people feedback where I'm just like, oh, that was just like an impulsive reaction that I had, but that doesn't mean that you have to change that about the song. Like it's a really good song anyway. I'm telling a friend, you know, I don't know. So I guess the big questions are, do I want to get feedback? Do I want to sing this myself or get someone else? And what is the production going to look like (laughs) in a final draft? Um, Yeah, lots of work still needs to be done on this before it can be put on Spotify. Um, I think there there will be more to come for sure. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I wanted to mention is that with these lyrics, they don't fit exactly into the melody that I had initially recorded. So I did end up changing the melody just a little bit to fit with the lyrics, but it's still pretty close to that initial recording that I played. That that was the one little piece. I wasn't totally married to that melody idea. 
I did change it a bit with these lyrics. Um, as opposed to like my earlier songwriting method where I was so deliberate, I would be like, it has to be this melody and I have to write lyrics. I have to spend hours and hours finding the lyrics that match with this melody. Exactly. Like, no, I don't do that anymore. I've let that go. Anyway, I'm rambling. That's great. Um, so I'll be back hopefully next week with an update on the songwriting process, but we'll see. Uh, my life is getting really crazy right now with planning a move and, um, everything that's going on. So maybe I'll just have a more, a different episode next week. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I need to go. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah. Rhymes are fun. Main takeaway. Okay. (laughs) Uh, what do I see? Oh, I could just go with the easy route and say, I see writing better lyrics, which is the book that's on my desk by Pat Pattinson. It was a really great songwriting textbook. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, oh, I also see the uh, poetry book written by my friend. And it was really cool that they released their first poetry book and I bought it. Um, and I read it all. It was really, really fun. Really good that, I don't know, I've, I've never purchased a friend's poetry book before. None of, none of my other friends have ever released poetry books. And that was just a really fun, really unique experience to read through that. Um, so those are the two things that I see. Uh, yeah, I hope whatever you're doing while you're multitasking, presumably listening to this podcast is going well. Drive safe, sleep well. I will talk to you all next week and have a good one. And until next time, bye. Bye, everyone. Let's go.